Thank you all. If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 1 Peter. Over these last few uh, sermons in 1 Peter, we've looked at the end of chapter 1, and we're going to be going down through uh, 10 today. So we'll see kind of the, the end of Peter's argument. We've looked at how that David is, uh, David wanted to build God a, a house. And God came back and said, no, I'm going to build you a house. And I'm going to use your son to do it. And he, we see that he uses the most unlikely of building materials to build a house. He uses his people uh, to do that. So I'm going to be reading from, uh, from chapter 2, and we'll be reading from verse 1 to 10. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile, hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, you also as lively stones are built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. And to you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which are disobedient, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we see that, that as Christ is building his church, uh, the first we saw is that he's building it out of a loving, unified uh, people that he has called out of this world, that he has called into our tombs and called our names, and we walked out of the tomb alive, and we follow him. It says that, that we love each other and that we are knit together in love based upon what the gospel has done in our lives, and that we do this by always applying ourselves to the scriptures. It's the Bible, it's God working through his word that that truth that will never end cannot be misunderstood. A person coming to his word in humility, asking to be taught by it, will grow, it says, just like babies will grow, will grow. And as we grow and we know God more and we value God more, then as we do that, we are more useful. And the temple that he's building in our lives, in our generation, we're one row of stones in our generation, are completely fit perfectly. And God does that in our lives in so many different ways. He cuts that stone to fit. He, he, and many of this cutting is painful in my life as God is taking me from what I am to what I must be. A, a Christian, as they look into God's word and as they are built into this house, truly fulfill a task. So we are as far as the middle of verse 5. So that's as far as we got before. We saw in verse 5, we also, as lively stones or as living stones, are built up as a spiritual house. 
So we come to Jesus as if he were a living stone. Very unusual uh, picture, perfect. That cornerstone is the first that a mason will lay. And the angles are flawless. The vertical angles, the aspect of vertical is a, a perfect vertical line. The plumb and all of the lines are straight. And then as course after course is built upon him, God will build a, a, a temple that will never fall. It will never, it will never fail. So we're, we come to Jesus as a living stone. And that is the mark of a Christian life. We come to him at first for rescue as, as he calls our name and we wake up from the dead and we follow him, clueless, not knowing anything, not, not having any... When, he's, when he judges me on myself, I must be condemned and sent to hell. There is no justice. God would not be just if he did not. But when Christ took my penalty, when he died for me, even I can be made right with God. There is no one in this world. There's no wretched person. There's nothing that you can see that would say that person is outside of God's ability to save. And the great, absolute great miracle is when God would save someone who's self-righteous in their own eyes, who thinks that they have done God a favor by being alive. That, for a person to be saved like that, is a trophy of God's grace, um, and possibly even rarer. Jesus said the, the Pharisee or the tax, clear, tax collectors and the prostitutes are coming to the kingdom. They are the ones who see their need greatly, but in either case, it's a, it's a miracle that we would be alive. And we are living stones only because we come to him a living stone. We derive our life from him. He lends us our life. So let's look now into the new material in the middle of verse 5. So we're built up into a spiritual house. He would have to lower himself to come into any temple. But he, will, he said, I will abide with someone who is lowly and contrite in heart and who trembles at my word. I, the Holy One, completely separate, high above the heavens, have chosen that I will live in a heart that is, that is meek, and you come to the living stone, life just surges through your, through your veins. If you ever come on your own merits and come in your own righteousness, God will reject you. Amen. He will reject you. But if you come as a sinner, you can come as a sinner tomorrow, and you come as a sinner tomorrow, and you come again tomorrow, and every day we come to the living stone, he gives us life, and now we have purpose. So as I am coming to him, I have a purpose. This is not a once done. This is not I walked the sawdust trail one time a long time ago and now I have a purpose. No, I have a purpose as I come to Christ. As I come to him and I come to him and I come to him recognizing that his life is my life. I am alive only because he is alive. And this living stone that's being built into a house has purpose. So what is the perfection? And there were sacrifices that were to be made, and the priests would offer these sacrifices. So if you were recognizing yourself to be a sinner, you've sinned, you would bring a sacrifice to the priest, the priest would offer that sacrifice, and your sin would be covered. Now, Christ has done that once and for all when he died on the cross for us. Your sins are gone. Your sins are forgiven. We do not come continuously to Christ for him to die for our sins. 
but we have a different type of sacrifice because there was a second group of sacrifices that people would offer. So here I am right in front of me. I myself had to put my hand on the head of that animal and press down with all of my weight till that animal buckled and then I killed it. I had to recognize that that animal was dying in my place. Once that was done, then I was only at zero with God. I had no merit before God. My sins were forgiven, and I had absolutely zero. It would never come out of the starting gate. There is no winning when you do not run. And if you were only to have your sins forgiven, that is nothing. You would have no standing in front of God at all. There would be nothing worth rewarding. But see, Christ gives you more than just the forgiveness of your sins. He gives you his life. That it is now your life, and that life in you is possible for me to actually offer a sacrifice acceptable to God. That that person then is able to bring a second sacrifice, and this was called a fellowship offering. So if I, knowing that my sins were gone, that the sacrifice of my sin offering allowed me to be perfectly free, then I would check inside my heart do I love God or not? Legally, we just sang of the legal curse being gone. That legal curse being gone, and I have no no offense before God. Now, now I ask my question, do I love you, God? Is there love in my heart for you? Do I want to worship? Worship has to do with the word worth. The English, the old uh, English word for worth came into the word for worship. So I accept whatever is worth something to me. Whatever is worth the most to me is what I worship the most. Whatever it is, look into your own life. What are your idols? What are the things that you put in front of God? Those are things you value. Those are things that have worth to you. And the worth is simply a matter of how much worth do you have. To a person who ignores God, who never comes into his word so that he can come to the living stone, and is simply... Uh, coming to God as though, okay, I have some safety because, but how I give God honor will depend on whether it benefits me or not. Judas honored Jesus. John uh, honored Jesus. His honor of Jesus was to show Jesus to be a just judge. And so when Judas is forever exiled, That shows God to be bigger than people thought he was. That brings honor to God. But, oh, please, I do not want to honor Jesus in that way. I do not want to honor Jesus by by claiming his salvation and then living a lifeless life that gives no honor to him at all. That I have no, there's nobody in having that a temple is to bring glory and honor. And that priesthood is that we're we're to offer acceptable sacrifices. If the, word of, if the word worship has to do with worth, a sacrifice for me is simply, I look at the things in my life. I look at all the pretties and my baubles and my trophies and everything I'm proud of, the things I've worked for, scratched for, stolen, and I look at them and I evaluate them. Then I look at the Lord Jesus and I evaluate him. To every degree, If the Holy Spirit is working in your life, what he is doing is he is softening you to reduce your trophies rich and healthy. It it is not. That is cheap, and it's insulting, and it's blasphemous. 
what the Holy Spirit of God does when he moved into my life upon my repentance is so that I will look through my eyes at Jesus and see value than I never did before. And so now constantly, all of our lives, every, every split second of our life, we have both hands up with Christ in one and whatever else is in my other hand. And I have to weigh them and the Holy Spirit in my life, a mark of a Christian, the mark that you would enable, enable, call holiness, is simply that Jesus becomes more and everything else becomes less. Paul gets to the end of his life and he said, everything that I once thought that would con- commend me before God, everything I was proud of, everything that I thought God would be pleased with, I when you are, are singing to God and you resonate with what you just sang and you were like, oh God, amen. That's exactly what I mean. That's exactly what I feel. I agree. That is acceptable worship. When you say, I would rather give to your work than have my toys because you are better than me, not because you've guilted me, not because I'm afraid of your smite. God does not sit with his finger on the smite button. There aren't pianos above our heads ready to be dropped on us. God does not make us walk under the weight of probation. There is no probation for a Christian. We are free. And that freedom is bought in Christ, and the Holy Spirit in us reminds us every moment and every time I drop my trophies and raise Jesus up in my heart, God says yes and accepts it as sacrifice, accepts it as acceptable sacrifice, and uses that. That was never meant to be a show. That was never meant. Your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand is doing. It was never meant as a parade of looky, looky, looky at me. It was simply, God, you are wonderful and I love you. And in that act of worship, God will green the area around you. But he does it through people that simply prefer him to the things that they saw as everything. That is acceptable worship. And that is why he's building us. He's building us out of, he's building his church, his temple, his praise temple, eternal temple out of people who love him. So look at verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. And that everything that I thought was floor is illusion. Everything I thought was solid and stable was never there to start with that only what God builds will last. At the end of Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says something just absolutely amazing. He said, God is about to do something. He is about to shake everything in in nature, everything in the universe, everything in the heavens and everything on earth. He's going to shake it. And he's going to shake it so violently that everything that he did not build is going to fall to nothing. And what we once thought was stable, we're going to see was never stable. The things that were eternal lasting will realize is not eternal or lasting. The mountains themselves will fall into the sea and the stars will come streaming out and fall into the ocean. Everything that you think of and depend upon will not be there for you. Only what God builds will be there. He will shake it so that he proves his building is his. 
And this is eternal. So when it says that he, by the way, there is no writer in the New Testament that uses the Old Testament like Peter does. Peter, Peter quotes or refers to the Old Testament so thickly that it is just, it's, it's like banana bread. It's just crowded with one after another after another. In these two or three verses, there's four, five, six different references to the Old Testament. He went back. Now, remember, his name's Peter. Jesus named him Rock. That's his new name. His name was Cephas. And, G- and Jesus said, no, Peter. Now, Rock, you just said something true of me. You just said I was God. I'm going to take that, and I'm going to build a building on that. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And here's Peter that Jesus was speaking directly to, who's now writing this letter to these people in his church that he loves. This bumblehead now is kind. This, this erratic guy who jumped and bopped all the way around is now calculating and careful and thoughtful and considerate. And he is now comforting people that are in suffering. The whole book of First Peter, if you were going to put the one word over it, it would be suffering. What happens when God has preferred you, chosen you, loves you, using you, and will throw away the rest, and you suffer? Does it mean God doesn't love you? Do you want to be treated better than than Jesus was treated? Do you think God loved Jesus? Jesus who never had a hole like a fox or a nest like a bird, who died rejected and naked, hung by nails on a tree, that that is the love that that Jesus had from his father, do I want better? Do I say, no, 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 I want, I want luxury, I want ease, I want comfort, I want influence, I want whatever I want, I want a toy. That is what I want, and Jesus had different. And, and Peter is now looking back into the Old Testament and, uh, that he loves, and it's interesting. Peter knew Jesus himself. He was the number one guy. He was the head of the disciples. And this man knew his Bible like he read his Bible and read his Bible and read his Bible and read his Bible. He knew his Bible. Why? Why? Because he wanted to know God. Even Jesus, the Lord, his best friend, only made him want to know God more. And he read and read and read. And as he was reading, he was like, you know, everywhere in the Old Testament, it talks about Jesus being a stone. He pulls out some, okay? Let me show you the first one. This, this verse 6 is quoted, basically cited from Isaiah. New Testament author cites an Old Testament passage. Don't just take the words that he quotes. It's the passage that he's quoting. It's the whole thing that he's meaning. He's, he's essentially taking this and bringing it all in. So it says in Isaiah, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, Okay, so we foundation, the bottom layer that it Judgment also I will lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet, and hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the water shall overflow the hiding place. He said, I'm going to lay a stone, and the line, which is the horizontal line, will be perfect. And the plummet, which is the plumb line, will be perfect. Every angle will be perfect, and I will build on him. And it said... He that depends upon him will not make haste. Interesting that the Holy Spirit in Peter's pen, as Peter's writing, even quoting, he doesn't say make haste. He said, look at back in, in verse 6, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall never be confounded. Okay? We have to come 
from King James. 400 years ago English, but it's the idea of just ashamed, baffled. That idea that my life, I thought, was one thing is I found to be nothing. That every, I was tricked. I thought the person with the most toys won, and it's not that way. I thought that I needed more and more and more power and more money and more influence and more wealth, and, and I need to go to Bahamas or whatever, and as though somehow that's what I need. And that's what people chase. Everybody chases it. And, and Peter said, those who think all of your dependence upon him, you are a floor that will not fall. Okay? So that idea, um, if you've ever ridden on an airplane and they make you buckle your seatbelt, what a, what a silly thing. If that plane plummets out of the sky, my seatbelt is not going to help me because I'm attached to a seat that's in free fall. A seatbelt is only helping you when you're latched to something that's not going to fall. So if I am depending upon Christ, I'm, I'm sitting on Christ, that's trust Christ. To trust Christ, you will never be confounded. And unto you who believe, he's precious. Now remember, precious comes from the word price. Your price of Jesus, his worth, becomes higher and higher, 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 higher in your esteem. You look at him and you love him more. You want him more. You desire him more. And suddenly your trophies just become puny, little things that mean nothing. You don't even know where they are. They're somewhere in the back of your sock drawer. And they were once your treasure. But, but now you see Jesus as really what you really want. And now you have a desire for him. You pant after him like a deer pants for water. It's something that is not just a, it's not just something you say. These are things that are true. And when I look at the word and I do not match, I have to repent. God, I'm not panting after you. I don't want you. I have other things ahead of me. I have other gods before you. And I, I, have, I have acted in a way that is not honoring to you. I am not doing my duty as a member of your temple of praise. But to those who believe he's precious. Do you see? The Holy Spirit's doing that. He's making Jesus more valuable. The price goes higher, 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 higher. I was once at an art gallery. It was a modern art gallery. I don't know if you've ever endured such a thing as a modern art gallery. There was a horrible piece of monstrosity on the wall. I don't even know what it was supposed to be. It was just, you know, layers of stuff. And there was a little uh, zingy dial at the bottom that said, this artwork is approximately worth, and then it had just a, and the money was just going higher, 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 higher. It was just that idea that maybe they were just making fun that art accrues wealth or accrues value or something like that. The, the, the little thing was just rolling with numbers getting higher and higher and higher. Well, I've li- the art was silly, but I just thought, wow, that idea that this is worth and it was always going up. And I think that's what it is. When the Holy Spirit is in your life, what happens is the same thing that's punishment to the wicked. What is, the, what is it that's the reward of the righteous? The reward of the righteous is that Jesus is the, fa- is the floor, is the foundation, that God's building will be built upon Christ. And if I am on Christ, if I am a hundred rows up in the building of praise that's lasted how many, how many thousands of years since the world has begun, built it on the foundation of the saints and the apostles and, and put together, and I'm there, then... I'm so glad that I'm in that building. I'm so glad that I'm part of something that will fall. But the very same thing that is a treasure to the obedient is the very same thing that is a curse to the disobedient. Why? He said, to the disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same has become the head of the corner. So if you are not trusting Christ, God is going to essentially curse you 
by making Jesus the foundation stone of the building that will last, and you are not in him. Does that make sense? To be in him is to be rewarded. To be not in him is to be cursed. That tired, you're never going to get dull of it. It's not like endless choir practice. It is endlessly treasuring what you are fully becoming aware of the value. And Jesus' estimation, all of etern- why, do, why is it eternal life? It will take eternal life for me to esteem Christ bigger and bigger and bigger as he actually is, closer to what he really is, as I grow in my knowledge and grow in my delight. That's what's happening. Ephesians 2.19, this is Paul writing this, but it's parallel to this. And in the word, back in verse 6, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, actually translates two different ways. The cornerstone, you know what it is, the foundation stone. But the other, st- the way this word is worked is the capstone or the keystone. Have you ever seen an arch? You have an arch. If you ever want to build a second floor to something and you want to actually have a hollow room on the first floor, well, then the weight of all of that ceiling has to press down on the walls. And that means that if you have a span, if you have a span of stones, I'd hate to be sit- standing under this because the stones fall with gravity. But what happens if you have an arch? You have a stone cut in the middle that is leaning to the left and to the right, and all of the stresses, all of the forces are pushed down the column. And so the second floor holds, and that's a keystone. Well, this is what Paul says. Therefore, you, This is Ephesians 2.19. Therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and saints and the house of God, built upon the of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed through the Spirit. Do you see? So it's fit together. So it's the stone that holds everything together. So not only is he the foundation stone that everything is built upon, but he's the keystone that holds it together. If you pull the keystone out of an arch, it crumbles into rubble. That's all it had. It holds it together. So, so eternal life is knowing is Christ. And I am only benefited as I do, as I am built to do, and that's to honor God through Christ. That is what it is. Now, look at 8. And not only to the disobedient will he be the, the foundation stone, but he will be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He will be the stumbling stone. And the rock of offense is a word that you'll, you'll know that English word that matches. The Greek word is called scandalon. It's where we get the word scandal. So the, the rock of offense is that he will put a rock that you will have to encounter. You will trip over. You'll have to stop in your tracks because there's a rock in your path. And you have to stop and deal with him. God forces us to deal with Jesus Christ. He forces us. Every man, woman, and child in every country, in every time, must deal with Jesus Christ. You must deal with what he's claimed to be. He claimed to be God. You can't just say, who cares? But even if you do say, who cares, you've made an assessment. You've looked at the cornerstone. You've looked at the stone. Remember it said the stone that the builders disallowed. That means rejected. They picked up that stone, and they looked at it, and they looked at it. They looked at it from all sides. A number of eyelashes. It had to be flawless, and only that one was qualified to be the victim. The other ones were put back in the pen to live longer. But if it was perfect, that one would be sacrificed. And so here is Jesus, the stumbling stone, and Jesus, the scandal stone that you would have to encounter or drop over, even to them which stumble at the word. 
Okay, so this again is from Isaiah. He's reading his Old Testament and writing it out. Isaiah 8, 13 says this, Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. He shall be your sanctuary. So if you fear God rather than fear men, if you... So many are going to fall or stumble over the stone. Now Jesus quotes this passage in Isaiah. This is what Matthew 21 says Jesus said. Now remember, Jesus can expand the meaning of his scriptures in any way he pleases. This is what he said. Jesus saith to them, Did you ever read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God should be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits. He's speaking to the Pharisees. I'm going to take the nation away from you and give me someone that's going to give me something, my fruits. And it said, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So Jesus said, there's a stone in Zion. There's a stone that everyone has to encounter, and you will either trip over that stone, stumble over that stone, stop in your tracks and say, what was this? Jesus Christ? Who's Jesus Christ? And search it, and the Holy Spirit whispering in your heart, this is truth. And you follow and come out of your tomb in your grave clothes, tied up like a sinner, living like a sinner, and God taking you and making something out of you. Or it will fall on you and grind you to powder. Those are your two choices. Jesus will either be one that you have to stop at and take seriously what he says. We are commanded to repent of our sins. Commanded. We must turn from our sins and trust Christ. That is what we are to do. We must stop there. He will not let us pass. That's a stumbling stone. But if you do not stumble over that stone, it will fall on you and grind you to vivid picture. There will be times that people who looked at that rock and said, no, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to build my life on this. And they disallow it. They throw it back in the rock pile and say, let me look for a different rock. I'm building a house, but I need a different rock. The builders rejected. God said, I choose. I choose this. It's precious to me. Look at how he ends this passage in in verse 9 and 10. This is all from Exodus 19. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of him who have called you from darkness into a marvelous light. Here. You're one of the family. You're royal. You're in my family. You're chosen. I chose you to be my praise. I've chose you to praise my name. Holy to me, particular treasure to me. And the praises are, are of the people that went from darkness to light. Now, I don't know what darkness that you were in. I think we were in different darknesses. My darkness didn't look like yours. The way I opposed God was not like the way you opposed God. The way I spurned him and scorned him and mocked him and made fun of the grace that he gave me and wasted anything that he gave me, it was different from what you did. We sinned in different ways. Your darkness is your darkness. And he took us out of wherever we were and he put us into his marvelous light. And that's our testimony. That is what we tell the nations. That is what we tell ourselves because he has chosen to forget my sins. But I remember them. I remember what I've done. I remember who I was. I remember who I am that I don't come to Christ. I know. Now now look at what he says in 10. This absolutely flips me. When I, when I see this, I'm like, whoa. He pulls from Hosea. Do you remember Hosea? 
Hosea married a woman named Gomer. That was his first problem. God said, I want you to marry the specific person. Here's her name, Gomer. She becomes a harlot. She becomes so loose. Anybody will do. He le- she leaves him and leaves him and leaves him, and he has to chase her down, and she's always with somebody new. And he is in a laughingstock. And God said, by the way, that's my people. My people are like that. I have been faithful to an unfaithful harlot. If you want to see yourself, you want to see me, he was talking to Hosea, look at yourself. You're a picture of me. And so, so at the first, Gomer is faithful, and they have a son and name him. Then he has, she has a second kid by a lover, some lover, who knows, some, some other person. This is from Hosea 1, chapter, verse 6. She conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said, you shall call her name Lo-Rahama, for I will not have mercy upon the house of Israel. Her name was, I will have no mercy on you. That's her name. She, and then this is verse 8. Now again, when she had weaned Lo-Rahama, she conceived and bare a son to another lover, to a different lover, whoever the boyfriend of the week was. And now she's pregnant again, and he, she has a son, and God said, call his name Loami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. So the, the second daughter, that fir, first illegitimate kid, is called um, no mercy on you, none, no mercy, expect no mercy from me. And the, second, the third child is named, you're not my kid. And now Peter is saying, this was you. You were that kid who had no mercy, could expect nothing from God, only his wrath, forever wrath. And you have nothing, and you are not his kid. He has no bounds. No, there's, God does not owe me anything. I come to him, a living stone. He owes me nothing but rage. And this is the most amazing. When it goes into chapter 2 of Hosea and 3, the gospel is like a searchlight. It's the most amazing gospel coming out of the second chapter and third chapter of Hosea. Look at verse 20, this is 2.23. I will sow her to me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them that were not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. Jesus, and it's all through Jesus, do you see? Acceptable sacrifices through Jesus, okay? And this is verse 10 of Peter, which in the past had not been my people, but are now the people of God. We're not having mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Like to stand with you, please. What, a, what an amazing story, and God just tells it over and over again so we can see that. If you'd like to come and pray or someone pray with you, you're always welcome to do that. Talk to God where you are. It's, it's an older All that thrills my soul is a beautiful hymn. Let's sing together.
That, that I want to be my prayer, and I think you probably do too. Uh, what an amazing message to see the, the whole Bible is that beautiful gospel that God really does love us. And he really did pay a price for us if we would accept that price.